everyone. Welcome to The Sorcerer's Orphan, a podcast created to dissect and explore the inner workings and inspired accidents that have helped the Flaming Lips write, create, and record some of our most iconic music and songs. I'm Stephen Droz, and I will be your host and your guide for this half hour of discussion and rememberings. Thank you for joining us. Here we go. greatest studio creations, but also one of our most secret, hard-to-find recordings. It's a great story. Let's begin where we always do. Let's begin with the timeline of writing and recording and release date. Our story begins in October of 1996. Wayne had written the song and recorded his singing while playing acoustic guitar, using just one track of his four-track cassette tape recorder. So, Wayne gave me this song, and I believe it was called back then by its longer title, when the captain is a cold-hearted and egotistical fool. And it was pretty well done as a finished song. I thought it was a great little story, and set off to putting things on the three remaining tracks. This was into November and December of 1996. We went to our producer Dave Fridman's studio in western New York in May of 1997. We redid the song... Back then, we rarely used our demos for tracking. So yeah, recorded and mixed in a session at the end of May. All the tracking done, and I think if I'm remembering correctly, one or two days. And mixed in one or two days after that. Its release date is a little bit nebulous. It was initially intended to be on Zyrica. And then we thought, no... And then it was supposed to be part of the soft bulletin. And we changed our minds yet again. It first saw the light of day on the 5.1 surround sound version of the soft bulletin. But strangely then, only as a curious B-side. So yeah, the song was kind of discarded, but it could not be stated enough how absolutely crucial this song as a studio creation was to us at that time. It was in a sense do or die and in the end we did and luckily did not die. Wayne and I had been hinting around to ourselves that we were going to try to do something big. Something dramatic. Something outrageously epic. And this song was our kind of reckoning with this impossible feat. It all started with this thing we call the parking lot experiments. 
In July of 1996, Wayne and I set off on a ridiculous concept. First off, we, as the Flaming Lips, would abandon all restrictive trappings and cliches of being in a rock band. Well, not that there were any actual restrictions, but we were burned out on being a loud, guitar-driven ensemble. And upon our guitar player, Ronald Jones, leaving the group, Wayne and I saw an opportunity to go another way. The parking lot experiments started literally in a parking lot. An underground parking lot of a restaurant that we, along with our manager Scott Booker and bass player Michael Ivins, we would meet and have dinner there. It was a great boomy underground parking garage. Imagine a big vast empty space of concrete underground meant for thousands of cars with plenty of echo. Like I said earlier, Wayne and I both had four-track cassette tape recorders. And we, all of us, Wayne, Scott, Michael, and myself, we all had loud cassette stereos in our car. We conceptualized that we could do a kind of tape deck concert using our cars with loud stereos as our players. We initially did our first try using just the four cars. But almost three months later, Wayne and I would assemble 50 cars, all with loud stereo cassettes in them, all playing a cassette that we had prepared for their particular spot in the parking lot, and also arranged for their particular spot in the piece of music. This is October of 1996. Remember, this is the same month that we wrote The Captain. And the very first piece of music that we attempted was called, Should We Keep the Severed Head Awake? which later would have the shortened title, Sleeping on the Roof. You can hear in this actual recording from the first parking lot experiment, you can hear that the melody and chords are already in place. of this first parking garage concert were surprisingly emotional. And it was a very inspiring reaction. As weird as this scenario was, cars in a parking garage blasting separate loud sections of a larger, hopefully connected, song, and somehow it worked. It was absurd. It was entertaining. 
And it was an emotional experience as well. This very first long emotional piece of music, almost three years later, ended up being the last song on the Soft Bulletin, which, as you may know, came out in May of 1999. And here's the important change that is happening. Wayne and I were very drawn to this thing, this emotional component of music. But we, like a lot of artists and musicians, were always too embarrassed and would find it awkward to actually speak about it. But this emotional musical accident opened up this new line of communication for Wayne and myself. Now, remember, we were talking about the year 1997, but let's go back to 1995 for a moment. keyboard, a Roland EP707. And though it was a digital keyboard, it had a great, great lo-fi piano patch setting on it. When we played as a live group, I had been primarily the drummer. I was the drummer of the group, and I would two or three times during the set swivel the drum stool around and play this digital keyboard, then quickly swivel back and play drum kit again. The beginning of the song Bad Days is a good example of this. At the beginning, I'm playing piano, and halfway through, I'm the drummer again. Back then, I didn't sing live. I sang lots of stuff on almost every track that we recorded, but I didn't really sing live. So Wayne and I were in a conquering kind of mindset and we were glad to start to reinvent the dynamic of the Flaming Lips as a three-piece group. And I was no longer the drummer. Well, I was still the drummer, but I was now going to stand at the front of the stage and play piano and guitar and sing. But I have to say, it did not come from a desire to be more seen or even a desire to be out front. It mostly, I think, came from a personality shift. And like I said before, Wayne and I were in a conquering kind of mood, and we both were embracing a new way of being the Flaming Lips. So my shift was instruments and singing. Wayne's shift was more psychological. He was determined to change himself. And this song, The Captain, was our unspoken vehicle in which we both inserted our new ways and personalities. Here's what Wayne had to say about it. I remember at that time, right after Ronald Jones had left the group, and I don't think that I was ready to accept or, or thought 
that I should accept that Ronald was going to leave the group like forever. So I had sort of set it up in my mind that he would be he'd be gone for a little while and eventually he'd come back. But him being gone for a little while was going to allow Stephen and I just to do this this sort of crazy stuff that we had been hinting to each other that we wanted to do. And since the group was kind of in this this brief hiatus, we didn't really have to confront what anybody else thought about it. And we would just start to make this new crazy music, but not thinking this has to be the way we're going to be forever. And I think that that sense of it just being a temporary vacation of some kind really freed us up. And this idea that Stephen was going to not just be the drummer. I mean, he had not been the drummer really in in the group even from the time that he joined. It was always we wrote songs together and he, he played virtually every in- instrument and he sang and we did all that stuff on the recordings. But as far as playing live or his his sort of identity within the group, he, he was still thought of, maybe not to the world, but still thought of as, to us anyway, that he was the drummer. And we, he and I had talked a lot about that he would just stop being the drummer and then he would stand up, you know, in the front, at the front of the stage and he would play piano and he would play guitar and he would sing and we wouldn't know what we were going to do about there being a drummer or not being a drummer and we just didn't really have a sense that we had to figure it all out. We just made the decision that we were going to start to do this other thing. But that, that kind of freedom of it, it seeming like it was just a temporary insanity thing and that eventually maybe everything would go back to normal. That moment of us collectively losing our minds and doing just absolutely the music, the concepts, and doing it the way we wanted to, I think the minute we started to do it, we were starting to think we're never going to go back to doing music the other way. And so these parking lot experiments in one way felt like, well, we're, we're just doing this at the moment. But the more that we were doing it, it was really building the way that we were going to start to make music in the future. And I don't know if we were saying that outwardly or if this was just the new way that we were going to start to create music. And that quickly led us to start to do the Zyreka record. And the Zyreka record was already this insane, insane thing that we were still looking at it as just a temporary moment away from being the kind of slightly more normal Flaming Lips group that we had been in the past. But part of that was just exploding all around us. And part of us was starting to think, even if Ronald Jones wanted to come back, there was a part of us that didn't really want him to come back. And that we we were starting to just operate on a different level and we weren't 
we weren't really in the mindset anymore of asking everybody, hey, is this cool that we do this? We were just sort of barreling ahead and saying, I don't know if this is cool to anybody else, but I know it's cool for you and I know it's cool for me and it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. And I think the captain became kind of the 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 shining beacon the the, the the spear of destiny of our of our creation of that moment where we thought no one that we'd ever known tried to do music this way groups had used orchestras and groups had been and had hinted at doing more symphonic things but they would always have a producer or they would have a symphony or that have conductors and things come in and they would record symphonies and sort of add it to their stuff to whereas we were really going about like we were going to become our own version of this sort of distorted symphonic bombastic punk rock loud orchestra we were going to be the ones doing it ourselves we weren't going to call people up we weren't going to call in an orchestra or a conductor or any of that we were just going to do it ourselves and some of the music that we had been doing would be ornate music and we'd know this is we're using strings and we're using pianos and we're using bells and we're using xylophones and things like that but the captain was this other beast and it was going to take all the power that we used to use with our distortion pedals and all the power that we used to use with our pounding rock drums and all that freak out and we were going to put that into this very emotional but intense and loud build up of this sort of monolithic conquering orchestral sound and we both thought Steve and I both thought that's an insane tall order and we didn't really know if we could do it but it didn't really matter if we could do it because if we didn't do it it would just be us that was failing it wasn't like the world cared or really anybody else around us would even know if it succeeded or failed but we would know personally to ourselves that we wanted to try this and we wanted to see if it could work and when the captain worked and when it absolutely went beyond what we thought we were capable of or what we thought we really even wanted it sort of just put us on a different level and i think we were the only ones that sort of secretly knew that we had we'd conquered this thing we didn't really even know how we were going to do it and we conquered it and we both accepted that it was a lot of lucky accidents and a lot of just momentum that we just kept going on and would just refuse to give into it but it does stand now as this moment where we just we knew after we did the captain that we were never going to go back to the old way that the flaming lips were The idea of the orchestra being authentic, meaning we would get a real orchestra and a real choir and a real horn section, I think in a sense 
we freed ourselves of being self-conscious about that part of it. The parking lot experiment showed that we wanted to play all the stuff and that we were capable of playing all the stuff. And that we didn't really want the orchestra to sound real. Or we didn't care if the orchestra sounded real. We wanted it to sound insane, beyond real. And with Wayne's determination and Dave Fridman's recording skills, I felt like we could do it. Here's what Dave Fridman had to say about it. We were, as a group, really learning orchestration in real time. And we would we just find a sound that we'd like, to, to, to my memory. It, 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 was, it was definitely one of those things where like, let's not overthink this. We already like what's going on, but let's, let's not worry about whether this is right or wrong. Let's just put it down and then we'll see what, what shakes out when we're done. I think from doing Zyrica, we had gone ahead and um, we had done a proof of concept in a certain way, but those, those aren't like super rock songs. Um, and this, this was like a different way to interpret, you know, all right, well, ostensibly we're a rock band here. How do we, how do we still do this thing, um, without doing it the way we normally had been for a long time? Yeah. And getting, getting it done, getting that actual result quickly, uh, helped a lot. You know, sometimes you can get to the end product, but if it takes you six weeks, you may as well have not gotten there because you're demoralized by the process anyways. Um, but this, this happening, <laughs> this, that particular song happening the way it did, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely uh, a big confidence booster. After the break, we will come back and dissect the song itself. I'll talk about the chords and dynamics, and Wayne will talk about what the lyrics are really all about. Be right back. Oh my God, it's Flaming Lips' greatest hits. All my dreams coming true. It's got all my favorite songs. Like this one. Oh, and this. Oh my God, and hard to find songs like this one. I'm so happy. The Flaming Lips Greatest Hits. Available on Warner Brothers Records. Get it now. Thank you for listening. This is The Sorcerer's Orphan, a podcast where I, Stephen Drozd, dissect and discuss some of the Flaming Lips' most iconic music and songs. So, the very beginning of the song is this very portentous, overblown kind of preview 
using virtually every instrument that appears later in the track. And it's in three different keys in this intro. It's in the key of G minor, then it goes to the key of D minor, then it goes to the key of A minor, finally settling on a G sharp minor chord. It's a dramatic foreshadowing of what is to come. And then it quickly settles into this. These are the chords from Remember Wayne's 4-track that we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast. It's a G-sharp minor to an F-sharp minor to an E major. And then it moves to this slightly bluesy, ominous foreboding, like maybe something bad is going to happen. up to its final sort of destination of what I call the wonderful circle of descending fourths. The first chord is an E major that drops down a fourth to a B major. And then we go up to a D. And the D drops down to an A. And then that drops down again to an E major. And that starts the whole cycle again. And here's what Wayne had to say about the lyrics. So the song begins, uh, it says, Yes, yes, sir, I know things are really bad, and this one here won't make it to the lab. And so this song is sung from the character that's in the song. It, I'm imagining it's the ship's doctor. It's a, And the ship that I'm imagining is like something that Shackleton would have had in the early 1900s and it's got a big big sails and a big crew and a lot of working parts to it and the the ship's doctor is very concerned that this one crew member is so ill that he's on the verge of dying and he and he's begging the captain to pull into the next harbor and though he feels slightly embarrassed that he didn't bring it to the captain's attention earlier he he trusts that the captain's empathy for his crew and his love for you know their 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 work and their you know that he would do whatever he has to do to to help his his crew get through this stuff he's the captain and so the ship's doctor is is pleading with the captain and as the song turns you sort of it changes from this kind of, um, you know, it's it's slightly more casual, and then it turns into this, where the ship's doctor feels as though he has to do something, and the captain, he's slightly disgusted that the captain shows no empathy and shows no ability to see what's important. There's this great crescendo of these three really high organ parts, these these high 
electric organ parts that all descend and crash at the same time. And this, to me, is, is sort of like the, the, the change in, in the personality. And I think, I think part of it is probably a change that I want to approach in my own personality, where I make this, this, this split from the way I was to the way I'm going to be in the future. But this very dramatic change from the way the song was now is is in a second it's into a complete whirlwind tornado these building building crescendo clouds that maelstrom this conquering ever building it doesn't it doesn't at first seem like it can get much bigger and then the song um, climbs and climbs and I, I think that this this climbing is is somehow connected to the way that the ship's doctor is he knows that he's going to become the captain and i think this is the shift even within my own personality that maybe earlier in the the, the way that the flaming lips operated i was perhaps the ship's doctor and and didn't feel as though I'm in, in, in command or would, would be the one that could make these sort of decisions. And part of me is trying to become this other personality that says this is the right thing to do. And I think what happens, metaphorically anyway, as this song builds, I think the ship's doctor walks down the hall, you know, somewhere in the in the hallways of this ship he goes into the captain's room and for me as this is building the my character the ship's doctor's character is he's being buried by all this drama and all this all this giant giant sound and i think at the very end of it i always got the sense that the ship's doctor breaks into the captain's chamber and he kills him. He just murders him. And he walks out and tells the crew that uh, the captain said, pull into the next harbor. And the ship's doctor became the captain. Well, there you go. That is the history of our song, the captain. We had some discussions, I did some rememberings, and I really, really enjoyed presenting this to you. You, the most important entities in the universe, Flaming Lips fans. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Join us next time. We'll be talking about this song. Waiting for a Superman. A somber and emotional breakthrough track. Asked you a question. Until next time, peace and punk rock forever. I didn't